Welcome to Desire Bound, a podcast for those who push desires and limits and dream to be desire bound. I'm your host, Ginger Segretti. Our guest today is Sir Brian, a professional dominant and alternative sexuality educator and coach. Sir Brian is known for his ability with newbies and with bondage. Our wide-ranging chat covers the difference between power and sex, the experience of rope, and how individual kink is for each person. Find out why some people go to the spa and others get spanked. If you're curious how to read a person or get involved with bondage, listen to learn firsthand what Sir Brian recommends you need to know and how to get started. Welcome, Sir Brian. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. You're a professional dominant and alternate sexuality educator and coach in Philly. Can you talk a little bit about what that means? Um, Sure. Uh, It generally means that people come uh, either to see me uh, at a dungeon or at spaces where I go and I teach on the topics of bondage, um, BDSM generally, you know, bondage, kink, fetish. People can either come to see me for private one-on-one classes or private one-on-one sessions where they can experience these things or they can also go to like some of the like public classes that I run and I sometimes like will speak or run classes at different places um, teaching on different subjects. Is that where you get the alternate sexuality educator? I wasn't sure when you talk about alternate if you're thinking like alternate to high school sex ed or if it's more about identity you know, I think that sexuality is this really like long, vast, complicated network uh, of things, and I I like the idea actually what you said with like alternate to high school sex ed. I'm like, well, yes, actually, that sounds really right because you learn really little in high school sex ed. You learn well, penis goes in vagina, and and da da. That's it. And yeah, and use condoms. And some people, for some people penis goes in butt and they're called either sodomites or homosexuals um and it's like it doesn't really go past that um hey i don't know i went to high school in the catholic high school okay for me it was either, oh, so it there was, was no there was no penis no <laughs> vagina just just an ignoring of the sexuality it, in general like, this is how it works and if you do it you'll be impure um, <laughs> um we well, just ignore it and it doesn't happen <laughs> So, you know, so I, I think uh, I like to coach people on the fact that there's tons of different ways that we can express ourselves as sexual beings that don't automatically have to do with either that or even just our parts in general. Lots of ways to be sexy. In terms of like BDSNM, is that only sexual or can that be an opportunity to be kind of another way to be sexy? Um, so I first entered like the BDSM community completely out of a non-sexual need i thought it was a very interesting place to explore like power dynamics and at the time when my life was a little scurry uh it was a good way for me to like get away from my messed up situation and explore like different dynamics if you will and and different ways to interact with people and none of those ways were particularly sexual you know we conflate sex and power they are two different things that sometimes walk uh, hand in hand uh, together but you know i can think of a lot of uh, kinky scenarios that if you will that aren't what people would traditionally consider to be sexy or sexual but that might feel fulfilling to an individual 
What exactly were you looking for when you got involved in kink or in in rope specifically? At the time that I started getting involved in the community, I I was in a incredibly toxic relationship that was just not not good for me. And I saw rope at an event and I thought it was this just very clear, expressive, beautiful thing, if you will. And, you know, I started kind of learning and going from there. And it was just this, this fantastic way for me to like free myself from my situation at the time, I'd like to think. Free yourself how? How are you seeing rope as an opportunity to free yourself? Do you know what it's like to spend like a decade of your life being told that like nothing you do is right, that your very existence is poison, that your being in a public space sucks the life out of that public space? Because that was my relationship. Um, I can recall specific moments where my former partner straight up to me said, you are a killjoy. Uh, to like anything that is happiness or joy or anything like that you are useless you are stupid you are lazy you are empty and then I found in rope a space like where I started playing with people who didn't automatically know me so who didn't have any kind of judgments of that sort with me they saw me in a different light I would tie somebody up and all of a sudden they would put their faith and their trust in my hands and all of a sudden I was in charge. Not only did they see me as competent, but they trusted me with competent with their bodies because they, you know, they had faith and belief in me. And literally all of the things that my relationship was telling me did not exist in me were provided to me through kink. And it had nothing to do, again, it had nothing to do with like direct sexuality or intimacy, I suppose, just not sex and sexuality specifically. It just fulfilled me of a lot of those things that I was missing. (laughs) For you, kink was an opportunity to develop a skill set and exchange trust and exchange power with people that you were engaging with. I suppose. I just didn't like when I just started getting involved with kink, I just felt so down on everything like in my life. I didn't feel like a person of worth or value. And through kink, I developed this kind of not persona, but all of a sudden there was parts of me that were valued, that were important or necessary to others and that like people liked me for. Do you think that your experience is similar to a lot of other people's experience? Absolutely. Um, Maybe not as candidly, if you will, but I know a lot of people who do say something like, I live a very powerful, controlling life in my day-to-day, and I like to give up or, like, uh, submit. Or the other way around, they're like, I like, you know, I'm very meek, I get pushed around, I get, you know, my life is run a certain way, and there's some times that I just want to break out of that, and I just want to wear big leather boots and smack people around and say, get down there and lick my boot! And if that, like, works for you, that, you know, we need some kind of balance. So kink was a good thing? Yes. Kink is a good thing? Kink is a good thing. (laughs) I, I told you before, I'm, you know, I, I had mentioned this, that I, I used to not be able to order at drive throughs because, like, 
I was just shy and awkward and, you know, coupled with my relationship that would literally make fun of me for not being able to have this basic set of skills. I saw myself as someone who was really broken and breaking and it kind of gave me an escape. And like, as I built up things in kink that worked for me and as like I got those kind of reinforcements, it started changing some of the things in my life that I was having problems with for the better. And it was only really after kink that I picked up on Monday, I picked up all my things. I left my relationship saying, hey, this is toxic because you don't respect me as a human being. And the only way I learned that is because other people started respecting me as a human being from a completely different place. And I was like, wow, is this what it feels like to be liked? (laughs) You know. So kink provided you a venue to explore different aspects of yourself that you hadn't had the opportunity to explore before. Exactly. I think that's pretty powerful. I mean, I I have like, I also had mentioned before that I like, I strongly tie kink to like aspects of uh, mystical experience and uh, spirituality because I believe that in kink we find maybe a higher state of consciousness if you will. I guess that's the best words that we have really for it. We had talked about a scene that you're going to have with a particular person and there's goals for that scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what type of goals do people typically have for a scene or, or what are, when you go in to do a scene, what are you looking to have happen? I mean, these are all like, a lot of people would consider these to be extremely like private questions it's just because they're you know they're questions that tie into each individual person's likes and tastes and reasons for doing kink i love being in control like it's just something i really like doing i'm a you know as somebody who's like uh, more on the dominant end of particularly pseudomasochism i like causing like pain to people in a consensual safe happy form you know but it's uh, it's just what I kind of like to do. And this person that I'm going to be playing with, they have goals where they're like, they want um, a challenge, if you will. Like they like being afraid. They like being made to feel uncertain of what's of what's going to happen, what's going on, because they like that kind of uh, that kind of thrill, and they like experiencing pain that they find challenging or that it takes a lot of them psychologically to deal with. So like I'm going to work with things that are going to be you know physically and mentally challenging for them because my goal is to have them uh, surf that very light edge and my goal is to kind of just keep them there and I will feel like if I can do that that's where I get my fulfillment is through taking the person through that voyage how do you and this kind of relates to both what you're talking about right now but also to prior clients that you've engaged with who say that you have a particular aptitude at knowing just how far to take someone how do you read people how do you know this is what someone needs or this is you know within the bounds of what has been consented to so that's a really interesting question because like there is definitely a difference between uh people that i would see for like a professional session versus people that i would see for a like private uh one-on-one that's like you know uh, personal are you talking about someone that has engaged you 
to perform a scene or are you talking about being in a public venue or no, am no. I miss? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about someone who has engaged me and who has come to me and who's like, hey, I'm looking uh, for X. I'm looking for X. I'm a professional this. I'm looking for this, this and this because they don't even have to tell me why. I'm just like this. These are my limits. These are what I've seen before. This is what I've done before. Done. Go do a scene. Like there is a clear, clear limit between those people and the people that I see personally, both because like a lot of people who want to come for a professional scene don't have don't have a lot of experience on a day to day and they don't have fully understanding of themselves okay, or what it is that they seek or get out of it. Uh, so there is very often like a very different their limits well no their limits if you will they 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 understand their headspace very often a little bit less than someone who's more active in the community and when you say active in the community you're talking about someone who someone who plays regularly okay. um people don't automatically come to sex workers or to professional dominance uh, you know a lot of people are like oh it's because they they're not likable socially enough or because they can't find someone or you know some people honestly don't want to have to sit and develop, have to develop the time for a relationship with the dominant. Some people just like getting spanked and they just want to get in, get their ass beaten and then be like, ah, I feel refreshed. You go to the spa, some people get spanked. That's fantastic. I mean, it's that a lot of people who come for professional services are saying they're, they're like, look, I am paying you to leave. <laughs> you know, I am paying you to beat and then get the fuck out of my life. Right, because they don't want the... They, they don't want the connection. The, they don't want a relationship. They don't want... A, 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 that's not what they need. A DS. They need something, you know, very specific at that time. And sometimes they'll never want to explore or they'll have certain limits that stop them from exploring that any further. Uh, and they won't like want to go any further. Meanwhile, someone who's like, well, yes, I have limits that I'm interested in pushing and exploring and I want to try different things and wider things. They're going to have a different amount of tolerance for what they, their bodies can handle. And as well for as like their intentions, their intentions might be I want to see something completely new. I want to experience something new. Someone who comes in to see me for a spanking, they might have come in to see me for a spanking for the past 10 years. And they're like, you want to know what? Spanking half an hour and then I go back to work and they don't ever want to go further than that. Do people really come on their lunch break? <laughs> yes. Yes. That's fantastic. I have had someone come in a break between university classes. That's awesome. That was that was my favorite. It was, and the funny thing too is that the, the person in question came to get a little bit of discipline regarding how attentive they were being at their university classes. So, you know, you're going to miss your university class, to, your college class, to come see to me. To be disciplined. To be disciplined for missing your college classes. This is very smart. I like this method. It's <laughs> definitely a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know. You've spoken a bit about the reasons why a person may come to see you, whether it's professional services or personal. Can we take a step back and talk about how you're able to read people? So like literally experience is going to 100% dictate practically all of that. I am looking for safe words, body language, facial expression, noise, and more like every little thing including like how a response you know how people are responding to me before and after how breathing changes mm -hmm. like little tiny 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 things that you know as as the dominant in the scene very often 
it is my responsibility to guide or lead the scene, and I have to pay attention to 10,000 more things than the submissive partner in the city is so I can kind of guide them through this safely. Like, the best... How do I do it? It's literally through a combination of all the above. How would somebody else do it? Experience. Doing it over and over and over and over and over and over. And by the way, just quick note, on the submissive side... I am very pro-submissives not taking things as a challenge. Like, I'm very pro-submissives being like, if you're uncomfortable with something, if there's something that doesn't feel right, don't sit there and be like, I need to make him proud. Just, if you need to call a safe word, there's no shame in calling a safe word. It's important to keep yourself safe. How can a person as a submissive tell the difference between what is unhealthy for them versus what is you know someone who's looking to push their limits uh, let's but see that is a like that is where communication between the the dominant and the submissive is like most important if you tell me i want to get spanked see like that's also an interesting thing if you tell me i want to get spanked for 20 minutes versus i want to get spanked to, uh, until i cry these are very different things to start with. But let's say you say, let's start with the 20-minute example. I want to I be spanked for 20 minutes and see if I can take it. Well, I can make you not take it in about 30 seconds. That's a, literally how long it takes me. I have a certain responsibility as the dominant scene to make you believe that it's almost, you know, that you can barely take it and still lead you through the entire 20-minute process also what am i trying to do am i trying to prove you wrong or am i trying to build you up do you want to get spanked for 20 minutes because you want to feel that you can do it then as a top it is my responsibility to guide you through this do you want to get spanked for 20 minutes because you want to be like ha i bet that you can't break me over 20 minutes then it is my job to show you that you're wrong if we're talking about rope what would the experience be for someone who's being tied versus someone who's doing the tying? We had this again leads back to each and every individual person has their own like reasons and their own like motivations. Like for my scene that I'm going to be having later today, I want to sweep this person off their feet. Literally. Uh, well, ha <laughs> zing. Um, <laughs> Well, yes, I will, in fact, literally be sweeping them off their feet. I want to give this person this feeling of almost disorientation coupled with pleasure and pain. See, I think that the receptors for pleasure and pain are the same, the same ones. So I like kind of blending and messing with those two things. And, those, you know, so like that's my kind of a thing that I want to do. And that's more or less where they want to go. And we're going to work together with this. How? Again, through verbal and nonverbal communications you know if i pull too tight here if i tie too tight here it's we have to communicate with each other to kind of build the thing together so if someone's new how would they know that something is too tight see unlike a lot of people i actually approved of some extents to certain forms of gatekeeping i think that if you're going to get tied up you should have for Christ's sake, you should have at least spent 20 minutes reading about what it is like to be tied or to get tied up. For both someone in a dominant and a submissive role? Absolutely. So I whether think, you're tying or being tied up. I think up. both people have the, need to have the exact same 
uh, not the exact same amount of experience, but I think that like there is no excuse being the person getting tied or being the person tying up for not knowing the things. And in fact, when you come to my rope classes, I encourage people on both sides of the spectrum to get tied up and to do the tying. And when people ask me why, I say because if you're the person who's doing the tying, you should probably have an idea what it feels like what you're doing to somebody else. Also, if somebody here in class is going to tie you too tight, you're going to now know what it feels like to be tied too tight. Somebody who's interested in getting involved in rope, there's books that they can read, there's classes that they can go to. Yeah, tons, 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 tons. Here locally in Philadelphia, there's like several classes that run at both Pashna and the King Shop down in Old City. And actually starting in February, I'm going to be doing a monthly class like I, I do monthly demos already and i used to do uh, an intro to rope class every two months it sells out constantly so starting in february every single month i'm doing an intro to rope class at the kink shop at the kink shop on third saturdays nice and the rope demo is also at the kink shop it is on third friday it is on third fridays from 6 p.m to 10 p.m it is Totally free for people to come watch and talk to get me. Roped, uh, get course, tied yeah. up too? Yeah. Get get roped up in something. Get a little tied up, you know. Uh, just hang out. <laughs> and to clarify, you're willing to tie someone up to the extent that they're willing to be tied up. So you don't have to commit to full suspension and... Fun things about rope. Um You know, one of the first things that I say in my class is that suspension is not the final goal of rope. And it is one of the many, many misconceptions that we have. Why would you want to get, you know, roped up if it's not to get suspended? I don't know, for 10,000 other reasons. (laughs) So is it bondage? Some people it, just it, some people just think it looks nice, you know. Some people are like tie me up in a some people are like tie me up in a chest harness where nothing is attached to anything because it looks pretty. Some people want to be suspended. Some people never want to leave the floor. Some people, you know, just want to get tied to the bedpost. You know. So you're good to be able to learn the particular knots that might keep someone in place. You know, I like keeping people in their place. <laughs> A place for everything and every sub in its place. (laughs) So I know that um, we had spoken a bit about different body types and who is or isn't appropriate to be tied up. And I know that you feel very passionately about this. Can you speak to kind of the diversity of bodies and types that are completely capable of being tied up in a safe way? You can get tied up. It doesn't matter what your body type is, what your ability level is, what your color is. And what I usually tell people in my classes is that if somebody tells you that you're too large to be tied up or too whatever to be tied up, you pat them very nicely on the head and you walk away from them because you see what they're trying to say is they don't have the experience to tie you up and that's fine but they should really mind their language because rope is really for everybody and as long as you can just observe some basic safety protocols and adjust things for each and every individual person there's no actual reason rather there exists almost no actual reason that a person can't be tied whether they be of size whether they you know be of a different race of a different body ability whatever just get tied up. Even old people can get tied up. My upper limit of tying was the largest person I tied was 320 pounds for full suspension. And to clarify, full suspensions means they're off the ground. Yes, off the ground in nothing but ropes. It was 320 pounds. And then the oldest person I tied, 
I think, was 73, if I'm correct, because everybody can, like, everybody should be able and everybody can do it. But again, thanks to, you know, media, marketing, the way things are run, we only think that very specific types of people are apt for rope, when really, it's really just for anyone. Are there any medical precautions that that people should be aware of or consider if they're looking at this as a, a type of play? Oh, rope? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, the flip side of that, there's a long list of medical conditions that, like, you need to be more careful. There's other things that can happen that are wrong. And again, these, these are things that both the top and the bottom should know. For example, one of my play partners is diabetic, which means that he's got terrible circulation. And so I have to be like particular when it comes to tying his body up. Uh, personally, I have a factor five laden. It's a genetic condition that relates to blood clotting and inability for the blood to clot properly. So in my case, or if I play with somebody similar to me who is currently under treatment for their medication, we have like blood clotting issues and certain types of ties that are too tight or that are not being paid attention could cause like extremely long-term medical issues that could be like life-threatening in terms of play partners you want to make sure that you're open and honest about any medical conditions that you have do you ask your doctor can i is it safe for me you know if you have like specific medical conditions first i would highly suggest seeing that if your doctor is kink aware or kink friendly because there are certain resource lists out there of kink aware and kink friendly professionals but a large amount of medical professionals are neither of these things and if you ask them they will literally say what the hell is wrong with you you're crazy or they will advise you against doing these things because of personal prejudices more than actual medical ones if you have like a kink aware caretaker um, and you can ask them yes actually do ask them quite frankly, your doctor's seen it all. Your doctor has heard it all. It's like when something goes wrong in a scene. I tell people if if they're having fun with some kind of toy or something and something goes wrong and they have to go to the ER, go to the ER. I guarantee you the ER has seen 10,000 times funnier than whatever the hell has happened to you right there. It's very important to stay safe. And if you don't know something about your body or about like a condition that you have or that may affect your play, just bring it up to a professional. If you don't feel comfortable talking to your personal provider, look online for some resources. FetLife has a group called Justine's List, and it is a list of BDSM-aware professionals all over the United States. I don't really know how updated it is these days. It was all right back when I was looking at it. And there's, of course, other places online where you can find other people. And there are people you can contact and be like, hey, I would like your medical opinion on and they're not going to judge you based on the fact that you're a weirdo. <laughs> or open in terms of your sexuality and power dynamics and any anything else that kink may touch on. You know, those things too, but I'm also just weird. <laughs> you don't I have mean, you don't have to be weird, listener, but I'm weird, so I classify myself a weirdo. I think that that we could all fall within the weird spectrum at some point in time. Sometimes can you speak a little bit about the best experience that you had with rope and kind of what made it the best experience, either in terms of being the person doing the tying or being tied up? 
It's just every experience has been so different. All rope, all experiences are unique and they come through like different things and, and different emotions and feelings. So you're saying there's not a right or wrong thing to feel when you're when you're playing with rope, for example? Yes, it's not that there's not a right or way around the field. It's just for me, it's very difficult to qualify or to quantify rather my experiences like you know on this best uh, scale or not because uh, so many of them like came from you know from different things like I can think of right now like a, a scene that I did like a couple months ago I actually did a scene that I filmed that I uh, have a video of and that's actually on my website and force it was very simple very basic rope scene with like a little bit of spanking at the end or something like that and for some reason we just had a really good connection me and the person that I was playing with and and it just felt it felt so intimate and it felt really so close and i felt really like one or whatever with this individual and and it was like it was absolutely wonderful i just really loved it you know but like meanwhile i've done things where i've like suspended people off of trees and like the croydon wood the woods in the middle of like this english winter and stuff like that and people are like oh that's so cool you had like a 15th century castle in the background <laughs> It's, you know, it's just because it doesn't look amazing to somebody else or feel amazing to somebody else doesn't mean that the experience that I have had with, like, my partner wasn't. Like, things don't always have to look incredible in order to be meaningful, if you will. And sometimes some of the most basic, simple rope that I've done that's been stuff that's not even been picture-worthy has been some of my most intimate, close connections just with the individual. Is there anything in particular that kind of makes for a better scene your chemistry with the person the physical venue the type of rope I mean I mean I think all of a lot of those things are some of those things do and some of those things are up to like individual uh, individual taste obviously there needs to be some form of chemistry between you and the person that you're tying whether that be like you know personal emotional sexual that's really up to you and how you're working it out does the venue or the place you're tying have things to do with it well surely yeah it, it does it doesn't have to but like let's say i want to do something that's very scary or spooky or i want to do a i want to do a scene where like you know fear is a, is an element that i'm adding into my rope it's going to look much scarier if i go to like graffiti pier in the middle of the night or something you know and for those of you not from philadelphia graffiti pier is like this really prettily decorated junkie haven um <laughs> i'm sorry i love you graffiti pier you know, that's going to be much scarier than if I'm doing it somewhere like, you know, the community center's main ballroom. So there isn't a crystal ball of ingredients that makes for the perfect situation. Is there warning signs or, you know, things to stay away from in terms of, and I'm going to say scary, but not scary like I want to have a not scene fun with scary. fear. Yeah. Like scary as in things went wrong. For me... Personally, it's interesting that like we're talking about rope primarily because rope is one of the few things in kink that I think is extremely mutable and variable because, you know, th there are no hard rules. And as much as people want to put down hard rules, because some people want to put down these really strict rules down for rope. And the thing is, you know, rope is so spread across so many different disciplines so many different cultures so many different ways and reasonings that like it's very hard to kind of really pin things down so when it comes to warning signs of like things you need to be careful let's say you know if you're just getting involved and you want to know what to look for 
that is like a, a big nose. I would say I always, if I'm going to be doing any kind of like, because I do switch. So if I ever do any kind of bottoming scene with somebody, I need to make sure that they at least have a pair of EMT shears. I mean, for Christ's sake, it's really the least. You know, even a pair of regular scissors, I start looking, eh, if you have a pair of EMT shears, it means that you can cut me out of the rope should there be a great emergency. And I also don't play with people who speak, particularly in terms of rope, in absolutes. Why the only rope to tie with is hemp, boy, bye. You know, if you tell me the only rope you choose to tie with is hemp or this, is that, that's fine. If you tell me that the only proper rope to tie with is something, there's some strange elitism going on that I do not want to be part of. I remember talking with someone and they mentioned rope is probably one of the few kink activities where you can't immediately withdraw your consent because of the fact that you're and when I say you can't immediately withdraw your consent if you're being spanked you can say stop and the stop can happen immediately if you are suspended and you say stop there is a manner of time that it's going to take to get you unsuspended that's a little bit of a slippery slope I'm gonna say yes and no if yes, if I'm spanking somebody and they ask me to stop, I can stop them. I can stop that spanking right there. If somebody is suspended and they need me to stop immediately, I do personally carry the tools on me that within 10 seconds can put them down. It's going to be an unpleasant time for them to bring them down. And it's going to be very, very, very sad for me and my rope. But you know, their safety, my rope, uh, I'm generally going to go for their safety first. I mean, I really like my rope, but safety kind of a thing and that's where the emt shears come in yes like emt shears are great they can cut rope very very quickly right up against the body without harming the body and the thing is you know where do you get emt shears the king shop actually carries them so does passionel okay um you can also get them on the internet and a lot of reputable bondage uh rope places will simply sell them as well they're pretty affordable the thing is if I really need to get somebody down within a few seconds, I can, as I said, within a few seconds, I can get them down from a suspension. It will probably be, again, it will destroy my rope and it will also not be very light or delicate for them. Like their bodies are, they're, they're going to start shifting and whatnot. I might even be like, yo, I need two arms underneath here because I'm just going to, I'm going to lightsaber these, these things off right now. So... I don't think the whole consent can be removed. Remove. I, th I think that we're saying is consent right now is being seen as this like shifting thing. Consent is being seen as a door that's open and that is closed. The thing is that there is a fraction of a second between those two states where the door is opening and or closing. I think that if you withdraw consent during rope and you withdraw consent during spanking, that's the same. That means stop. The job of the top is to make that situation stop as fast and as safely as possible. Whether that takes one second or 10 seconds doesn't change the matter of the fact that consent has been withdrawn. So if someone is in a situation that's extremely uncomfortable, they don't necessarily have to wait to be untied. There are other options in order to take them out of that situation. Yes, absolutely. And here's the thing, like neither me nor any rigor, like we don't like damaging our ropes. That is the truth. And by rigor, you mean oh, someone who's yeah, tying sorry. someone else up. Like no rigor. 
No person who ties anybody else up wants to like damage or screw up their ropes, if you will. But no person who ties another person wants to harm a bottom. Like that's much more important than the rope. 90% of the time, if you tell us I need to come down and it's not like a safe word red, we will as fast as possible go ahead and bring you and bring you down. But however, any ethical rigor or anything like that, if you say I need to come down right now, like, you know, you don't have time. I need to come down right now. We will gladly like snip right through our ropes and cut our ropes because human life isn't worth however much we paid for a 30 foot length of rope. That's good to know. <laughs> Here's the thing. When I first got into rope, um, I was I mistakenly first got into rope thinking that, well, it's such a it's it's such an inoffensive thing you know it can't you can't really get hurt with rope i mean how can you you know what things what bad things could potentially happen with rope and you know within a few classes i learned that there's literally like a page long list of severe things that can happen that are problematic with rope and they just require safety but a lot of people don't think about it they're like yeah it's just so pretty if it's not tied around my neck it can't be that bad <laughs> Basically, a person who's interested in rope should come to a class that you might hold in order to better understand precautions to safely tie someone up and to safely be tied up. Like, this is not something you should try at home after watching a YouTube video. Uh, yes and no. Again, it's so difficult because I think that it is important to go do classes face-to-face uh, -face and live. With someone who knows what they're doing. Absolutely. And can provide instruction. Absolutely. And can also correct if they see anything that is wrong as that. That doesn't mean, however, that there's no value to things like uh, YouTube videos or book learning. One well, so how do you tell a good book or a good YouTube video from someone who maybe doesn't have any business providing other people instruction in this? References, you know, for the same reason that, you know, as I've mentioned, like, I'm actually a fan of having, like, specific people who are well-known, well-educated, share, and only them pass on their information. And the same way now that it's easy for anybody to pick up information from any Joe Schmo, it's also easy for anybody to go ahead and research someone. Like, if you type my name in on the internet, you can see all of my social networks, my pictures. You can literally trace back to from the day I opened my FetLife account all the way till now. There is a easily traceable thing. If you know Billy underscore the kid 1976 on YouTube has one video on how to do this super awesome extreme bondage exclamation mark exclamation mark exclamation mark one. And it's like the only thing that they have and you have no idea who the hell Billy underscore the kid 76 is. Maybe don't take his advice as well as a channel like the Two Naughty Boys, actually. They, they are two authors. They are riggers and authors from San Francisco, and they're quite well known. They had a YouTube channel where they had tons, uh, tons and tons of their tutorials available and stuff like that, and you could go and pick up easy, quick stuff. The problem is that most of the time, when you're left to learn by yourself, you don't want to learn the things that are important. Let me just skip over these four or five or six chapters on safety and like anatomy because all the cool naked tied up ladies are in the back of the book. Well, you that's see? where we start anyway, right? <laughs> so it's it, the main reason why it's like I sit there. I'm like, yes, some book learning is great. The problem is let people learn by themselves without a guide and they're just going to learn the things that they think was the best for them. Then how do you red flag somebody who hasn't participated, hasn't been in classes, hasn't been... Now, how can you tell? 
yeah references literally just ask them ask them and if this person lies to you well, I that's don't a bad way to start gonna, anything anyway you'd be like yeah if this person lies to you well Forget they're a it. shitty person to start with and also you know the community is really 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 closed there's a lot a lot a lot of kingsters but the amount of kingsters that we see in the live setting like out in public is a tiny little fraction of a very 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 large king community that believe it or not a lot of us know each other through the grapevine how do you get into the the into the inn the grapevine events munches you know any type of like social events or even fet life it's not unusual and it's not seen as a bad thing if somebody it happened recently with me actually somebody came up to me and said i'm interested in a scene with you and they straight up told me they're like look i asked like six people about who you were, I asked for your references. I saw that you had, you know, such and such was in your service at this time, and I, I you know, asked your submissive, and you know, I felt like I was being interviewed, or you sounds know, like you were being interviewed. Yeah, it sounded like I was being interviewed, or like you know, background checked, and I'm okay with that because I think that those are important things to keep yourself straight, uh, to safe. keep yourself safe. Excuse me, uh, keep yourself straight. <laughs> I don't I don't think we have any um proclivities one way or the other. Safety and straightness don't don't have to have nothing to do with one another. None at all. <laughs> None at all. We've talked about safety, we've talked about had the importance of education and even the importance of checking references of the people that you're playing with. Are there any other do's and don'ts um specifically for people who are interested in rope or even just kink? in general. I know you and I had talked at one point about the materials. I don't know if that's something that you would kind of throw in this category. So if you're looking to get into rope, I would say like research is the best thing that you can do. There's so much theoretical research before even entering into a class. Class very often will not sit and tell you, well, this rope is significantly softer than this rope, which is softer than this rope, which was used like this and is prepared like this. These are all things that you find out by yourself. Whether you like uh, hemp or bamboo or want to work more with one or the other, there aren't really things that you find in a class or things that you find through self-study by touching rope. That's why I tell a lot of people, I'm like, they're like, well, what rope should I use to start tying? And I tell people, go anywhere there is rope and touch it feel it are you hanging somebody off of a tree no you're just starting touch the rope feel the rope use the rope that works with you and you should be able i mean i imagine most hardware stores would tell you the strength of the rope and what you can and can't do with different types of rope you'd be surprised particularly like natural ropes like a lot of hardware stores won't actually have the weight rating on the rope it's also important to note that like the the load rating that's on the rope is not static it's for something that doesn't move that causes constant. You know what those thing, those numbers never account for? They don't account for weights dropping, for swinging, for things like that. But that's the thing too. Quite frankly, unless you're doing a suspension, you don't. Unless you're hanging somebody from like a surface, I cannot come up with a good reason why it is incredibly important to know the load rating of my rope. I imagine, though, that at least the diameter of the rope would be important. Obviously, you're not going to take yarn and try and hang somebody up with Uh, yarn. Most commonly, six millimeter or quarter inch rope is like being used. As long as you're not doing suspensions, you can absolutely head to Home Depot and go look at some of the rope and be like, hey, look, this is about more or less quarter inch blank rope. Whatever this is, let me use this. And if it works for you, great. And if it doesn't work for you... 
well, it doesn't work for you, but, you know, I picked up my very first rope kit. I picked up from a garden center in the UK for $45, and nobody ever knew, and they all thought it was really nice, fancy rope. It but really you treated wasn't. it. I, I mean, it, you didn't just take the rope from the garden store and start using it. No, I took, you know, I took it and I treated it, but I treated it with, like, fashions that you, the things that you can find on the internet, like, quite simply, which are standard ways of treating rope. And it wasn't, like, you know, suspension-ready rope, but... As I said, I got an entire kit of like 15 ropes for about 40, 45 bucks, which is much better than what you see when people brand rope, bondage rope. Because the second it's branded bondage rope, all of a sudden people start doing crazy prices. And on average, like a length of treated natural rope is going to run you anywhere between like $20, $30 for one single length of rope. One. That's crazy to me. And if you're starting to learn rope, for example, like there is no shame in picking something like Home Depot twine. And if somebody makes you feel like Probably shit... Probably not over... twine, just well, by not the twine. way. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> not, not, please don't use twine. Please don't use twine. Um, but if you're going to go and pick up like Home Depot rope and somebody makes you feel bad about that, um, then... Don't play with them. Don't play with them. <laughs> Turn elitist jerk off. Wait, so, no, don't jerk them off either. Don't jerk them off. No, yeah, no, no. No, no. They are a jerk off. You, you do not have anything to do with... You know what? Next question, please. I know earlier you spoke about inclusion in body types. Yes. If someone is a larger person, do you need to be mindful of the diameter of rope for them? Or is it more about how you're doing the tying? It's a little bit of both. I would say... Depending again on body type and again also on what intention is, most of the time I find that unless someone specializes in tying large, particularly larger folk, they will sometimes have slightly wider ropes, a slightly wider diameter. For me, who ties all body types, I actually don't have separate ropes for tying larger people. What I do is I just increase the surface area of where my ties are so that there's essentially uh, like more stable bases to be tied on. More wraps, if you will, to like support the person. But like you don't automatically need a special rope to tie larger people up. So any other final kind of tips and tricks in terms of uh, specifically rope bondage? There's like an unpopular opinion here that needs to get passed around. Unless you're tying a tiny prisoner of war from the Edo period in Japan, you're doing rope bondage. Don't sit there and call it shibari, kinbaku, tons of these fancy words that you barely have a definition for. This is the basis of white people doing cultural appropriation of something that they don't understand. So whenever you come to my class, I promise to teach you rope bondage. Some may be Japanese-inspired. However, I'm not going to sit there and call something that I've been doing for a while something completely different in an order to sound more exotic. And if somebody sits there and starts using really fancy words unless they have context with those fancy words, fuck them. Or rather, better, don't. Don't fuck them. Um, but... Get away from there because elitism is terrible. And as they say in the rope bondage community, how many bondage riggers does it take to tie up one model? That's 100. There was one to do the actual tying and then the other 99 to sit there and be like, well, see, that's not really truly a chest harness because for a chest harness, you need to... And so on and so forth. 
So I want to kind of rein back in and bring it uh, back to you a little bit. Uh, you self-profess to be awkward. I've found our conversation yes. entirely engaging and you quite charming. So how, how do you get into it? Yeah. How do you turn everything else off and be there? How do you get into sexy space? You know, when Porn? You, you, erotica? That's not what I meant. Um, I meant, do you ever go? <laughs> do you ever go out dancing? Maybe you don't. Maybe some people go out dancing. Uh, I mean, I, I know you do go out, but, but maybe you go out dancing and you're on the dance floor and you're really enjoying. And somewhere during your dance, there's a moment where you kind of like, I want to take this person home. Or, or maybe even hell, maybe you're not that impulsive and you just go from being like, oh, I like looking at these people dancing to I want to be on the center of the dance floor. Well, I don't know. what What's the process to go from normal you to that? You know, equally when it comes to kink, I can't tell you how I get into my space. I just know that like, for example, later today, somebody's going to come and say, do you want to tie me up? And I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to look at them and things are going to melt away. And I'm just going to get into my space and just focus on what I'm doing. And how did I get from, hi, shoot the shit. Let's eat a piece of pizza to this. I have no idea. What would yourself today tell yourself starting out in London back in 2011? Any insights? Any words of advice? Hey, 2011 Brian, it's me. Stop wasting your time with people who do not appreciate you. Wow, that's that's deep. Um, see, uh, I find that. Uh, I, I spent a really long time, particularly at the beginning of my time in kink, trying to find this like a validation from my peers in kink, trying to be like, yes, look at me. I am just as kinky or I am just as whatnot. And honestly, I, I really didn't need it. I needed to find, I didn't need other people to tell me that I was doing good. I needed to find me doing good. If I were to look back at myself I would say I would probably tell myself to not not be as concerned with what some rando with some fancy name or title thinks about me or trying to impress them because it's not really what it's about. And, you know, lately with all the interesting things that have been happening in the kink community and uh, big names getting trouble and things like that, and it's just like, you know, I barely have a clue of what's going on because I'm too busy living my own truth and living my own life and not busy impressing other people in kink. It's not a race. It's not a contest. It's not high school. It's just fun. And it's life. Life is not high school either. Thank goodness. It feels like that sometimes though. So if you were to gift a, a book on the topic, what would it be? For kink in general, I like to recommend uh, Dossie Easton and Janet Hardy's The New Topping Book or The New Bottoming Book. Although, like, you know, I find that it applies across um, identities, orientations, genders, whatever, even though it is written by two uh, femme women. But it is, you know, I, I think it applies very well in terms of why we do the things we do and why we take on some of the roles that we do. And it's two books, and one of them focuses just, one of them is essentially for the tops, and the other one's for the bottoms. And I recommend people read both of them, because it, it approaches the, yeah, the exact same, the same matter, but just insights from the other side. When it comes to books for rope, 
I like to recommend Douglas Kent's Complete Shibari, book one. And Wait a minute. Doesn't that go against what we were just talking about? Look, okay, you can't pick and choose. <laughs> titles of books? You can't pick and choose titles of books, all right? You know, Mr. Kent, Mr. Kent, you will never hear this out here, but I am so pissed off that both of those books have a pretty anime lady on the front of it. For Christ's sake, the book stands much better by itself without the anime girl on the cover. Change the anime girl. But anyways, Complete Shibari Part 1, Part 2, or Complete Shibari Land and Complete Shibari Air from Douglas Kent are really, really good starter rope books. But don't pick up his third one, which is Complete Hojojutsu, because it's just, no, just don't. How about events or folks? Um, any events that you would recommend or other people in the industry that are good that you esteem? When it comes to events, I'm really, like, I don't... I don't go to 10,000 events personally. I used to go to much more events. I almost got very burnt out actually on it. I always recommend the aviary mainly because it's so, I want to say user-friendly, but the aviary is not software for Christ's sake. Um, the aviary... The user ex- I mean, user experience <laughs> is is beyond technology. <laughs> it's the, I find the aviary is great for, for newbies. Um, it's, it's very newbie-friendly. That's what I was looking for. It's very newbie-friendly. It's extremely welcoming. It's highly accessible being in Center City, Philadelphia. Second Saturdays of every month at 8 p.m. to 1 a.m. nowadays. And it's at the William Way Center in Philly and it's a great time awesome to meet a lot of people when it comes to people that I would recommend if there's anything that I've learned particularly I don't I don't know if you've kept up with things that have happened lately in the BDSM community as someone who's not fully involved but lately a lot of high power names of BDSM people have been exposed as being doing some screwy things or perhaps being a little bit dancing on certain consent lines, screwy things. So these days, to be honest with you, I don't recommend people just because just in general, just in general, you know, everywhere around me, it seems that someone else turning up doing something shitty. And I don't want to accidentally recommend someone that is shitty. Now, that doesn't mean that I know people who are terrible. Like, most of the people I know are fantastic. I would highly recommend you to, like, lots of educators. But then, you know, if those educators turn out to be monsters, then you look at me and you're like, well, why didn't you warn me? And I didn't know and you didn't know. And we'd both be sad. So, the so me, So me. So the aviary and me. Come see me. Come see me. I am the most self-important thing in Philadelphia. Please. Seriously. And uh, people can typically find you at uh, the Kink Shop. Now you're going to be teaching classes once a month. Once a month. I will be at the Kink Shop as well as doing my monthly demos. And you can usually find me there third Fridays. And uh, it's going to be third Saturdays as well, doing either of those things in the evening. Just pop your head in. Look for the person who is very angry looking. It's usually me. <laughs> Uh, you also do classes in the privacy of people's homes. So, Yay. so well, I you know people often they can come people can come to my website, uh, which is phillysir dot com, and they can contact me to have like session bookings if they either want to do like classes in the privacy of a dungeon or if they want to do one on one experiences. They can do that either at private space uh, in 
central Philadelphia, or I can just travel to you. I actually travel over the tri-state, like two different people who either aren't comfortable coming all the way into the city, don't want a dungeon setting, or have like mobility issues and, you know, can't for whatever reason come to the dungeon. So people can find you at King Shop. They can find you in the privacy of their own home. You mentioned the aviary. Mm -hmm. Are there other events or places where you're likely to be that someone might be able to see you without booking you? Yeah, no. You know where you can find me best, folks? If you're finding me out... Phillysir.com. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're finding me out at events... If you're finding me out at events, chances are I'm doing something and I'm going to be looking very, very distressed. So if you want to find me in a nice, not distressed place, you can go to phillysir.com or look up phillysir on FetLife or on Instagram or... Okay, so on Twitter, it's phillysir.com, spelled out. So phillysir.com, yes. spelled out for Spelled Twitter. out for Twitter, yes. And for a few other ones. But, you know, quite frankly, you just go to the website. They're all there. And Facebook as well. Facebook, Philly yay. Sir. Yeah, phillysir, uh, Brian Westman. That's Westman with an O. That's the way I can really confuse the listeners. They're like, Westman with an O, what's that? Figure it out. Um, but actually, if you go to fb.me slash phillysir, that brings you right to my page because I'm fancy like that. Any final tips or thoughts? Margarita Prakatan once said, I love you people. And I would like to share that sentiment right now. So I love you people. I love you very much. And um, yeah. Thank you, Sir Brian. It has been a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me on. That's a wrap. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and follow me on Twitter at DesireBound. I'm Ginger Segretti. Until next time.